welcome to the Win-Win Podcast. I am your host, Shauna Simawong. Join us as we dive into changing trends in the workplace and how to navigate them successfully. Driving behavior change can be inherently challenging. Research shows that B2B sales reps forget 70% of the information they learn within a week of training. And even worse, 87% of that knowledge is forgotten within a month of the training. So how can you drive lasting behavior change among sales reps through learning programs? We have Mary Rose DeBoer, the training content specialist at Lixel on the podcast today. Thanks for joining us, Mary Rose. I would love for you to tell us about yourself, your background, and your organization. Sure, Shauna. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad to be here. As you said, my name is Mary Rose DeBoer, sales training content specialist at Lixel, which is a global plumbing company. And I'm working with our direct sales force to help really make sure they have the skills and the tools they need to succeed as they go out into the field. A little bit about my background is I kind of fell into this role almost by accident because my original path was education. When I went to college, I didn't know what I wanted to major in at first, but I eventually landed on early childhood and special education. And I actually stayed with that for a while, actually up until March 2020. I was a classroom teacher in an early childhood setting. And then when the pandemic hit, I was briefly furloughed. So at the at my previous organization, I had the chance to do a stint at HR where I got to do some learning and development related topics. And also while I was at my previous organization, it was a university and I had the chance to pursue my graduate degree in management with a focus in educational leadership. So it had kind of been poking around my brain for a while about transitioning outside of teaching children to using those similar skills in a different setting, in a business setting. And I was very fortunate to have this opportunity at Lixel come up and I've been loving it ever since. Awesome. Well, we're excited to have you here. And, you know, given your extensive background in education, I'd love to understand how has that type of background really set you up for success in developing training programs in a business setting? Great question, Shauna. So I think probably the main way this has set me up for this role and to bring a lot of different ideas to this role is just the the overall idea that the how of learning matters. So I think outside of formal classroom settings, outside of academic institutions, we kind of take it for granted. We kind of, that, uh, you know, learning can be more effective when delivered certain ways, right? So for, you know, instead of just giving people the information and expecting them to, you know, kind of almost by osmosis to remember it and retain it, there's really a lot of thought and intentionality behind Uh, cognitive science and educational psychology, so many different things you can use to really make sure that this information is delivered in the most effective way possible and to ensure the success of your employees. So I think just that really overall drive and passion to make sure that content is given in the most engaging way is how this has set me up for success. That's awesome. Now, you mentioned too in your intro that you have a background in in child development, and obviously you now have expertise in adult learning. What are some specific ways that adults learn and change behavior, and how can training programs incorporate these components? I think this is a super interesting question because there, are, of course, are differences between how children learn and how adults learn, but I actually think those differences are fewer than most people realize. 
So I like to think of those in terms of more instructor-led learning versus learner-centered instruction or learning. So that's the perspective I like to have, because I think in either of those contexts, that applies to children or adults. But to your original question, there are, of course, some differences with adults. And one is the fact that they bring their own skills and experiences to the table, more so than children, especially in a business setting where people might have been working there or in the field or the industry for many years. Another important thing is that versus having subject-oriented lessons or content, For adults, it's much more effective to usually have it more task-oriented or behavior-oriented. I think we all remember in school when you would have like your math, your language arts, your science. And for adults, it's really much more effective to have it centered around tasks or behaviors more specific and relevant to their roles. Uh, Wanting to know the why behind learning, which I think we'll actually talk more about later, super important for adults. And I think just really infusing that throughout your instruction is key. And then the final thing I think is really important for adults, and this is going to get a little neuroscience-y and I won't go too bogged down in the details because I am not a neuroscientist by any means, but your neuroplasticity as an adult, it actually is less than as a child. And your neuroplasticity is your ability to kind of learn new skills. And that's actually much easier for children to do than adults. So the repetition for adults is another really major factor to consider because you want to really have that consistent reinforcement to help support the building of those new neural pathways you're building as you are, you know, gaining a new skill or information or trying to implement something new into your workflow. So yeah, I hope that answers your question. I know that was kind of long-winded, but there's just so much to talk about there. I love that. No, absolutely. And and when you're going about creating training programs, I, I, I'd love to understand how do you identify maybe the gaps between current behavior and the desired behavior? So f- for this, I'm going to refer back a little bit to my previous question where I kind of talked about instead of like adults versus children, that instructor-centered versus learner-centered. And this is where I think that learner-centered really comes into play. But at at Lixel, what we've started doing, and it's been probably one of the most meaningful things that I've done professional development-wise since I've started, is get training in human-centered design approaches. And that allows you, in in a nutshell, I'd never heard of human-centered design before joining Lixel, by the way, but I'm now obsessed with it. And it's basically making sure that you are solving the right problem so you can solve the problem right. And I feel like the best way to do that and what I learned in this training is going to the learners and using a variety of techniques like focus groups or, you know, kind of priority diagramming. There's all these great little techniques you could use to kind of actually talk to learners, um, you know, maybe observe what they're doing during a day or how they do a task, do a focus group around a specific problem or issue or part of their workflow. And that way you can really meaningfully see where the gaps might be, and how you can design training effectively, because you want to make sure that your training solves the right problem, that you're just not throwing stuff to the wall to see what sticks, right? You really want to know what the gaps are. And I think the best way to do that in most cases is to use some sort of technique, some sort of focus group or survey to try to figure out what the gaps are. And if you could do that in a way that's as relevant as possible, and by that I mean, if you can really see a person do their workflow that helps so much because sometimes people don't know what they don't know, right? Um, I'm sure, maybe, you know, working in software, you might have seen that people might think they have a really great grasp on something, and but it's hard for them to articulate 
exactly what the problem might be. So when you can kind of be alongside them and actually see what they are struggling with and where those gaps might be, I think that's such an effective tool. It's not always easy to do, of course, and there's going to be times where you have other objectives that you know are important that you'll have to do around. But I do think, generally speaking, when you can engage with learners directly to try to identify those gaps, that's super impactful. Absolutely. I agree with that. Now, another another thing that we've heard from enablement practitioners is that over-communication and repetition are important to drive change. How do you remind and maybe even incentivize reps to demonstrate the change you wish to see? I think this is a really great point because it's really at the core of making sure your training, once it's delivered, is successful. It's rarely going to be a one-and-done thing. So first to the kind of over-communication and repetition, I wholeheartedly agree those are important. And I think that's you just have to really be conscious of embedding them in as much as possible. So if you have a concept that you want, you know, don't just have it in one lesson. Try to put a nugget about that in other lessons, even if it's not directly about that. If it applies somewhat and you want to reinforce it, see if you can weave it in. An example of this is with our sales team, we have a overarching kind of sales philosophy, a sales training that we do. And uh, originally, it was just the reps went through that sales training, and then it was done. And we realized the importance of reinforcing this new kind of sales philosophy that we wanted them to work on. So we started doing a little reinforcement module actually within our high spot training. So I'll talk more about specifically how we use high spot training and coaching later. But just again, finding the ways where you can really embed little nuggets of reinforcement throughout. And then there's a couple other points I want to do because you do talk about incentives and motivation. And quickly, I won't go again into the whole science of motivation, but in terms of intrinsic, so external rewards and intrinsic, which is kind of your self-motivation, your internal rewards, you, I definitely think with adults that with, with adult learners and with certain, especially higher level skills, that internal motivation, so that feeling of autonomy and mastery that you're really accomplishing something is super impactful. Now, of course, extrinsic is valuable, right? We all like to have, you know, like our company has a swag shop where people can earn what we call Lixel bucks, and that's kind of a nice little training incentives. But using extrinsic rewards sparingly and really just focus and focus more on how you can have people grow their sense of autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And those are ideas I am completely stealing from Daniel Ping, just to give credit where credit is due in terms of where that comes from. And um, But I do want to say, importantly, with intrinsic and extrinsic motivation, you have to make the extrinsic. So, of course, especially with sales, thinking of pay, you want that pay to be enough so that's not an issue, right? I'm not saying, you know, pay people nothing and then it doesn't, you know, and that they can still be successful. You just want to make sure that, you know, they that's not a huge issue. And then the intrinsic motivators are much more impactful and can help them succeed. And then the final point I'll make there is that you have to rethink failures and mistakes because I think with behavior change, it could be really difficult to implement the behaviors as a sales rep if you're worried that there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve, right? Maybe you're not going to do as great with maybe you're tracting while you learn a new sales system because you're learning it and there's going to be some little kinks and bumps in the road as you're trying to figure it out. And I think it's really important for management, for leadership to kind of help 
be understanding with that, right? To not penalize if somebody is using learning a new skill or system, but they're not great at it yet. As much as you can, be understanding and supportive if they're using it. That's the key thing. And it's going to pay off in the long run. Absolutely. Now, to dive in in deeper, ensuring change is relevant and actionable is also important. What, what do you do to ensure that your reps understand the why behind the behavior change? The why, and I'm really glad you brought this up, Shauna, is super important. And as we talked earlier with the kind of principles of adult learning, that's something that can really help motivate them to engage in their training, to be very purpose-driven behind it. So I think it goes, again, to like we said before about that own over-communication and repetition from as many different sources as possible. And by sources, I mean whatever ways of communication you have at your company. And I also mean people. So I think it is so important if you have not just your trainer, but your manager and your leadership reinforcing that purpose and that why as well. That can go miles in terms of helping people really invest their time and their energy into learning. I think bringing leaders in is fantastic. Now, after training programs are complete and changes in behavior are being noticed, what's next? How are you able to reinforce what is learned for lasting behavior change? So that's great because once you have momentum, you certainly want to build on it. So I think the first thing to do is you want to acknowledge that and in whatever way that's possible. Maybe that's a dashboard. Maybe that's a communication from leadership or from a manager. So because you don't want people to feel like there's no pause, right? There's no cause for a little celebration or acknowledgement of that time. So however that works well for your organization, just make sure you acknowledge that growth in some way. It's, and then you can then focus on kind of moving on to the next thing. Another, this is usually used, you know, this came up when I was learning about how to teach children, but I think it's such a good principle of learning is one called scaffolding, where you want to just kind of very subtly start to build on skills. So I wouldn't, and that, so basically there's the skill and then there's the level of skill that somebody can reach with just a little bit of extra push. We call it the zone of proximal development, or it's probably similar to what most people think of as their comfort zone, right? So that's what I would encourage trainers and learning and development professionals to think of next. So what's going to be the next skill that's related, but just kind of that half step up, that next rung on the ladder and how you can get them to reach for it. That way it's still relevant. It still makes sense in their trajectory. It's not something totally new and super challenging, but it's just enough challenge to kind of keep that momentum going. I love that. I actually hadn't heard that that term before. So that's really interesting. And, and what can leaders do to maybe encourage and support this lasting behavior change? Shauna, I think this is so, I'm really glad you brought this up because I think leadership has such a powerful role here. I think first and foremost, um, leaders can model the changes they want to see, especially if like, for example, say you're a sales manager and maybe some of your responsibilities are similar to those that maybe your sales reps are seeing. If you're doing the behavior and your reps can see that, that's going to be so meaningful to them. So I think as much as it makes sense, modeling that behavior is going to be the most important thing leadership can do. Another thing that leadership can do, as I mentioned before, but I'm going to say it again because I think it's so, so important, is to 
be understanding with any kind of mistakes or trip ups that happen as behavior change occurs. Um, one of the things I love, one of our organizational behaviors or values at Lixel is experiment and learn. And I love that because the crux of that value is if you try something and it doesn't work, that's okay. Just learn from it. And so I think, again, when with leadership, you, there should be understanding and supportive when there is a behavior change, knowing that there's going to be that, you know, that little bit of kind of weeds you have to hack through first until you get that beautiful garden, you know, to, to use a kind of tired metaphor, that garden of knowledge, right? You need to clear out the weeds first and make sure it's all good to grow. And just knowing that it will happen, you're kind of investing in the long-term goals here. So in a nutshell, leaders can model and be understanding of mistakes or learning curves that happen when behavior change needs to be implemented. I love that. Now, last question for you, Mary Rose. How has your organization leveraged high spot training and coaching to drive behavior change through training programs? Absolutely. We've been using high spot for almost a year now, and we've had a really big chance to dive in training and coaching. That's actually kind of what I first started doing when I came on board to Lixol last year. And one of the things I think has been really cool about using the training and coaching is the ability to kind of really tailor lessons with the various response types and to pull in the content that sales reps are already using and seeing to serve as lesson content. So, you know, we have these short videos that the reps can watch. And also we can pull in things like sell sheets or brochures that they might want to show as customers. So it's nice reinforcement too. It's like they're learning about the products, but they're also kind of getting familiarity with some important content that might be, they might use in the field when they're speaking with a showroom, for example. Another really cool feature, and I know this is a newer one on your end, but I'm really excited to use it more, is the learning path. So the ability to kind of string a variety of courses together on a particular topic or for a particular role is something that really intrigues me. And we started piloting this with a group of people to at our organization, and it seemed really well received. So I think that's another really great aspect of high spot training and coaching that we'll use more in the future. And the final shout out I'll give to High Spot is the, not to the training and coaching specifically, but just the fact that it's integrated to the overall High Spot main page is that if they, if we are really focusing on a specific topic, maybe I'll give you a good example, like a new product launch, we can have nice, easy navigation right on that High Spot main page that reps will see. That's an easy link to their courses and the relevant resources. So again, we had this new product launch. We're going to have a nice banner on it right on the front page, they can click into that and then they'll see courses, their presentations, the brochures, everything they need all together. So I love how High Spot, the content piece of it relates so naturally to the training and coaching aspect of it. I love to hear that. Mary Rose, thank you again so much for taking the time to chat with us today. Of course, this was great. Thank you so, so much for having me. To our audience, thank you for listening to this episode of the Win Win Podcast. Be sure to tune in next time for more insights on how you can maximize enablement success with Highspot.